Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Two Chris's, one Frank. What could go wrong? Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, December 27th. Frank Stample joined by Chris the Welsh and Chris the Towers. Woohoo! He is back. He's working his way back into baseball mode. We're happy to have Chris Towers back. I'm going to have to refer to you guys by your last names today on the podcast, so it's going to be a little weird just going like Towers, Welsh, but whatever. We'll make it work. I'm used uh, to it. You know, I'm I, I've worked. That, that's the thing about like working in or adjacent to sports is you you tend to get referred to by your last name generally anyway. So I, I'm, I'm used to being Towers. You know, very, very few people call me Chris. And very I'd also... People. I'll relinquish Chris to no, Towers no, no, if no. you'd like, you're, because I'm used to Welsh. No, we can we Towers and Welsh. We don't have to fight over Chris. It, it, it'll get awkward. Okay. Right. Well, so, Towers like then. album. Uh, no. <laughs> it sounds like it. Would you say it sounds like an album? The Welsh Towers. Yeah, it sounds like a, <laughs> like a really good album from just some like, you know, good like 90s. Yeah, like like a shoegaze. Yeah. 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 Something like yeah. that. Like, it's yeah, like, some like European, you know. I don't know if they have garage. They have garages in Europe, right? <laughs> yeah. What would they call it? Like uh, we have the carts that lose it. Got, got like the, a the different garage term. rock. Yeah. yeah, there you go. The next, uh, the next big recording label, uh, <laughs> the Welsh Towers. Anyway, Towers, how are the holidays, hey. buddy? How are you doing? Good. It's freaking cold. I think this is like the sure. coldest I've ever been in my life the last three days. And like, I just moved into a new apartment a couple months ago, and like, I'm really jazzed about like how little I spent in electricity my first month here, my first month was $88 for my electric bill. And like for reference, my old place, we were doing like $200 a month on average for electricity. So like I got that first bill and I'm like, I'm never turning the heater on. And I finally broke the last couple of days. I couldn't like getting out of the shower two days ago when it was like 17 degrees outside and 
my feet hurt Ooh. on the cold uh, stone floor. So I'm okay. Other than that, you know, I, I, you, you said you, I'm getting back into baseball mode. I'm assuming that's a reference to my Twitter handle, which is Chris Towers is in football season. I don't know if I can change my Twitter handle anymore with the new rules right like i'm gonna lose my blue check mark if i if i if i say that i'm going into baseball mode so i'm just in football mode forever on twitter now sorry guys gosh it's gonna be so misleading for the podcast we'll make it work uh well she i'm not sure if you consider this a present or coal but your diamondbacks now have gabriel moreno and lourdes guriel approved Uh, it was a present yeah Yeah, it was was approved like listen you get rid of statistically from a fantasy perspective, like, hey, the best fantasy catcher from a home run side, just a good offensive player. I've been around him. It's great. He's a he's the best player involved in the trade. But if you're like a realist from the fan perspective, Super 2 con- contractual stuff was coming up. The Dimebacks didn't want to, nor maybe could they pay for him with a glut of other stuff. And I thought they got a really great haul. I know uh, this actually that was really divisive trait. You know, like there's one side that's like the Dimebacks got screwed. And then it's like, what are the Blue Jays doing? You know, everyone is like that. I thought it was a pretty fair trade on both sides. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit more lean towards the Blue Jays. But uh, I'll take those Christmas presents, especially with a little bit of Gabriel Moreno on the side. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was a fair deal for both sides as well and a surprise. But we're going to be breaking down that ent- entire trade from a fantasy perspective. Dalton Varsho traded over to the Blue Jays along with a bunch of other moves that have been going on. We've got reliever signing uh, with the Phillies, with the Giants. We'll get into all that. Nathan Avaldi to the Rangers just happened today as well. So we'll get into all that. Uh, the point of today's podcast was to do a head-to-head points mock draft recap. But... I don't know how much time we're going to have for that. So hopefully we can get to that a little bit later on. But uh, I think the main focus here will be breaking down all of these moves. And let's jump right in. Dalton Varsho traded to the Blue Jays in exchange for catcher prospect Gabriel Moreno and outfielder Lourdes Guriel. Uh, Dalton Varsho last year finished 69th overall in Roto. 2.6 fantasy points per game, which is not great. But if you think about his skill set, he strikes out quite a bit. And uh, his steals matter much more for Roto than they do for head-to-head points. 27 home runs for Varsho. That was tied for the lead at the catcher position. His 592 plate appearances ranked second behind only Sean Murphy. Welsh, I'm coming right back to you. I want to ask you just your thoughts on Dalton Varsho from a fantasy perspective. Does this improve his value? And what do you think about the dynasty value now too? Because I don't think he's going to be playing much catcher in Toronto. Yeah, so I mean, I think the overall, I think it's actually tough, even though this is like a theoretical, like better offensive spot. I don't know if it improves his value. Uh, the Blue Jays run a decent amount compared to where the Diamondbacks were. Of course, both are in, li- in line relatively the same. I don't know, maybe the stolen bases come back just a tiny bit because there are better opportunities for players, uh, you know, for RBI opportunities for runs to be batted in in Toronto. You could speculate on that, of course. Um I think there's obviously better opportunity for just guys being on, which could up the RBIs. Maybe he's going to have bit batted in a few more times, depending where he is in the lineup. But I think it's, it's relatively lateral-ish overall. But from a dynasty perspective, I don't think it's a huge positive. Obviously, the, the clear-cut thing that everybody realizes at this point is catchers all but gone. Uh, Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen are just two study tight, uh, tight ends, I was going to say, uh, in football mode as well, uh, two study catchers that they've got in line, both with some pretty um, pretty impressive projections as far as like steamer goes, that I you just don't see Dalton Varsho acquiring 20 spots at the catcher position here. So that's going to go away, but it doesn't take away that he's also a pretty valuable outfielder. 
But, you know, we got to see the batting average improve. Uh, he's not a great bat versus lefties, which is also not a big shock to anybody. He hit 221 this past year, also hitting only 240 against righty. So overall, that was a relative struggle. But if he can improve, if there's more lineup protection out there, maybe the batting average is going to come up. He's always he's a potential 30-10 guy. So even in the outfield, that's a really big positive. So I think from redraft, it's solid. Maybe with the slightest, slightest tick up this year. Dynasty, it's kind of a tick down. But I think it's so hard to evaluate. What do you even do with him in Dynasty right now? Because everybody in the world knows he's going to lose catcher eligibility. So everyone's not going to want to pay the price of what current VAR show has for you. So I'd almost want to hold him into the season to see if we can get on a hot spell and make people kind of forget about the whole catcher thing instead of trading him right now, where I actually think there's like a down in people's minds on far show. Yeah, I actually think this might create a buying opportunity in dynasty. If you play in a league with more than three outfielders, he's still going to have outfield eligibility and he's still going to give you power and speed, which is very valuable in a roto or categories league. So if anyone in your league is just freaking out about Dalton Varsho, you might actually be able to get him on the cheap, which sounds weird now that he's playing in Toronto. Towers. It feels weird calling you Towers. Towers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dalton Varsho, early ADP is 42.8 over at the NFBC. So puts him in the middle of the fourth round of a 12-team league, the end of the third round in a 15-team league. I think on paper, I think it's a neutral move as well because the Diamondbacks were 14th in run score last year. The Blue Jays were fourth. Okay, that's an upgrade. I don't know that he's going to run more in Toronto. I think my first thought would be he would run less, but now they're changing the rules, so everyone should theoretically be running more. It's kind of hard to break it all down, but your thoughts on this move for Varsho, do you think, uh, does he even creep up a little bit from this ADP right now, 42.8? I wouldn't be surprised if he crept up just because it is a better offense, and I think generally when players are in the news, they probably tend to move up in ADP, assuming the news isn't you know, negative, assuming it's not injury news. So I would think that there will probably be a little bit of a move up and, you know, maybe he, he gets more solidly into the third round in those 15 team leagues in, in NFC. And, and maybe he's, you know, more like an early fourth rounder in, in 12 team leagues, but I don't know if he should move up. He's a, he's a tough player. Cause he doesn't really impact the ball all that hard. He's a very, very pull heavy player, which is how he overcomes not hitting the ball. You know, 66th percentile max exit velo, 25th percentile hard hit rate, 25th percentile average exit velo. You look at the expected Woba and all the expected stats. They're pretty bad. But again, when you're a very pull heavy player like he is, that tends to, you know, you can overcome, you know, kind of middling quality of contact metrics. And he's the kind of player who's done that. So, you know, I think when you're hitting six, that can be an okay spot when in terms of, you know, whether he's going to run because it's kind of a, us, you know, I think people can view it as kind of a secondary table setter after your big bat. So, you know, maybe I, I think like like you said, it's probably a a lateral move, maybe a slight upgrade, but I wouldn't be moving him up too much. As far as you know, the can't hit lefties thing, he's been bad against lefties in the mi- majors. He was very bad against lefties last season. What was it, a five fifty something uh, OPS against lefties? That that's not going to play. If you look at the minor league numbers, there are some more positive uh, indicators, you know, 2021, especially he had a 921 OPS against lefties, very good strikeout to walk ratio for, you know, relative to his overall skill set. So I'm not going to write him off entirely against lefties. You know, he could still make some progress. We're still talking about relatively small sample sizes all around. So I think there's room for some internal improvement 
and you know, talking about the the outfield versus catcher thing and what it does to his dynasty value. If we're talking about a 27 homer, 16 uh, stolen base guy, he's going to be a starter no matter where he plays. Like as long as he's not completely killing you in batting average, and, and frankly, what 235 last year doesn't really kill you anymore. So, I I don't I don't think you should be trying to move him. Like like Welsh said, it's not a secret that he's expected to lose catcher eligibility in the long term, and you never know what can happen. You know, the, life finds a way, as as we're fond of saying. You know, it, it it takes what one Danny Jansen three month injury for him to potentially get an opportunity for more playing time at catcher. So right. I think uh, you know it, it's not out of the realm of the conceivable that Varsho could maintain some catcher eligibility. The only thing I want to add, uh, just throw in with you, Frank, is two things. Um, as far as the ADP goes, I think people realize this, but also NFBC is going to prop up catchers just because it's a two-catcher format. So when you look at the ADP, you're going to see, so like if, if I'm just talking to like people that are playing like, you know, maybe more, more consumer type of leagues and is going to have a one-catcher league. He doesn't really belong in that range, but I don't, still don't know if it's that far off. But I really wanted to ask you guys this because I'm curious about this one. If you're looking at, um, you know, some of the concerns, we talked about some of the concerns with him. Obviously, the catcher eligibility makes him valuable. But even long term, who would you rather have? Dalton Varsho or a player that ironically put up similar numbers with just a little bit worse of a batting average and is like two and a half years older in Kyle Schwarber. He had 46 homers, but also had 10 stolen bases this past year, hit 218, but was coming off of a 266 season. Strikeout numbers are obviously work, but it's double digit walk rates, always high ISOs. Seems to have found a great place is going to have a table setter. Well, theoretical table setter in Trey Turner, though he might still lead off and Trey Turner hits three. So he's going to be batted in. I'm just curious because his NFBC value is in the late fifties. So it's redraft in dynasty. Dalton Varsho almost kind of becomes Kyle Schwarber when he loses catcher eligibility. So I'm just curious, Kyle Schwarber versus Varsho. Maybe, maybe it's a dynasty question. So it's assuming Varsho loses the eligibility, Frank, who would you rather have? Even though Varsho has a couple years younger age-wise on him. Yeah, I think I would still go Kyle Schwarber regardless. No, I, for redraft this year, if you're factoring in catcher eligibility, I would go with Varsho. Uh, from a dynasty perspective, I, I would go with Schwarber because if you look at his battable metrics, he actually does crush the ball. And yeah. I would expect with the shift being banned, batting average will creep back up a little bit for Schwarber. You know, maybe he's a 240, 250 hitter. I don't know that he's going to ever hit like above that. But uh, yeah, I, I would take Schwarber from a dynasty perspective. I don't know if you feel differently. Towers. Yeah, I mean, 27 versus 29 doesn't really bother me all that much. I think anytime you're talking about a dynasty, I think we tend to we tend to probably overrate year four and five and six when we're talking about dynasty value. And if you ever like, it's always fun to look at like dynasty rankings or dynasty draft results from like three years ago, because it's just like, what the hell were we doing? Was everybody drunk? Like we, we have no idea. Well, like just stuff changes so much. Think about how much everyone's like this 27 year old judge. He's watched yeah, up. Like, just yeah, put him like, down in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. Like th- <laughs> yeah. that's all like, you don't know what's going to happen in 2027. <laughs> right like the world could be over your league could be done with you know one of those would be worse than the other one i guess but uh yeah i i, I tend to not worry too much about like oh he'll be 34 uh, well okay yeah that's 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 a long time from now we have no idea what's gonna happen in two years and there's a pretty good chance that one of kyle schwarber and dalton varsho has no value 
in three years in fantasy. So it's just how this game works. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about the age gap. So I would prefer Schwarber. I think a really interesting one, a player with a very similar skill set um, to Varsho is Adolis Garcia, who coming off a 27 homer, 25 steal season, 31 homers and 16 steals the year before, like he's been better than, than Varsho. And he's going, you know, two rounds later, but obviously catcher eligibility. But I think when you're talking about dynasty value, Varsho is going to have a lot more value. Nobody believes in, in Adolis Garcia. I saw Frank laugh when I brought up the name, but no, 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 it's I, a, it's, it's a good name to bring up though. It, it really is. It's just but like that. That's another player who like, if I could, if I'm in a dynasty league and I could move Varsho for Adolis Garcia, plus a really nice piece, you know, who doesn't have a guaranteed value, but could turn into something that's, that's one I'd consider. I just think the reason why I made that face is because I have no idea how to value Adolis Garcia from a dynasty perspective. Absolutely no idea. He's 29 years old and he was one of four hitters to go 25, 25 last year, but and nobody thinks he's good. Yeah. Even though his underlying metrics besides strikeout rate are all very good. He's like, he's got one yeah. big flaw as a hitter, but like Varsho has the same flaw. Yeah. And yeah. he well, also Martin, Varsha doesn't have the elite exit velocities. Well, and, and Garcia is at like two straight. I mean, he's averaging like a 246, I think, is on is, is the batting average with a lowered strikeout percentage from the year before, mm-hmm. oh, a higher walk percentage and bigger counting stats. He's a total anomaly. That's actually a pretty sneaky one. If, if you're really wanting to get sneaky with it, Varsho, I think, easily could get Adolis Garcia simply by age. I think it's very feasible to get Adolis Garcia plus. But but yeah. this is also like the mindset because I would have said six months ago in Dynasty, you did not think of our show in the same conversation as Kyle Schwarber and Adolis Garcia, 29-year-olds. You were looking at a 26-year-old catcher-eligible player mm-hmm. who is getting you double-digit stolen bases and 25-plus homers. That's a completely different mindset of a player. Yeah. But you're now looking into the new spot that he's in, the potential loss of this position. And it is speculative. We would all throw this out. It is speculative, but it's smart speculative because there are two lockdown catchers in front of him that we assume he's not going to. But we're speculating across the board that this is now the the spot and the people that he's around in conversation. And that's not what it was a little while back. So that's why those type of trades really might be uh, accessible to the Varsho owners. All right, let's quickly talk about the return on the other side here. Welsh, your Diamondbacks received Gabriel Moreno, who is one of the top catcher prospects. Does he still have prospect eligibility? He does not. He, no, does not. he okay. lost that eligibility. I, I believe it, it's not on at-bats. If everybody knows, it's it was 130 at-bats. Yeah. It was service time. 130 bats or 50 innings pitch, but... Uh, Days on the active roster can also lose you the uh, eligibility. I think, I think he, he got that. it by like one day. I think it's like 60 days or something. Yeah, something like that. 61 days, something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. And Gabriel Moreno was regarded as one of the top catcher prospects this time last year. He, I believe, has fallen in a bit, uh, quite a bit in some people's eyes. 62 games at AAA. He hit 315 with three homers, 25 games with the Blue Jays. Gabriel Moreno hit 319 with one homer. He makes a ton of contact, just an 11% strikeout rate. Way too many ground balls. 57% ground ball rate. Again, really small sample size, but that has been the issue in terms of the power. That's why we aren't seeing this big home run total from Gabriel Moreno. Just hitting too many balls on the ground right now. Welsh, your thoughts on him with the Diamondbacks this year. Uh, Will he be the starter from the jump? Will that be Carson Kelly? And also, if you have any quick thoughts on Lourdes Gurriel also coming over in that deal. 
Yeah, I don't believe he'll be the starter uh, off the jump. I think they're going to ease him in. They love the two-catcher system. They've always wanted to implement it at whatever cost they can. Varsho was kind of playing that. They'd even bring a third catcher. And that team with Varsho would carry three catchers. Steven Vogt was doing it a couple years ago. So, no, I think this will be Carson Kelly, is at least on the onset, is going to be the main guy with Moreno being the sub. And then later in the year, dep- depending what changes really occur with Moreno, is where you know they'll determine if he's going to be a starter. And I'm a big fan. I mean, this is a guy that hit over 300 and everyone's calling him a bust. You know, he hit over 300 in the minor leagues last year and he's a bust in everyone's minds, except he is meeting these two big battlegrounds of like, he's a bust because he didn't put up stats in 69 at bats. And then you have, you know, Baseball America that's like, he's the number one prospect. And everyone's like, what is going on here? I got to see a lot of him in the AFL two years ago. He is a very patient, phenomenal hitter to watch. He's got a very interesting bat stance where he kind of almost layers the bat right on his shoulder and he doesn't make mistakes. He only made mistakes early, early on, uh, or I'm sorry, late, late on in the AFL in the championship game where sliders started to get him. But he reminded me of Vlad in that like he would not swing until the pitch was in a spot that he wanted it, which was in the zone, which I always thought his plate presence was really great, but he's got to get the ball off the ground. He was really a doubles hitter out in the AFL. He only hit three homers this past year. He can run a little bit. Um, you know, he's a little bit stockier, even though like the stat line or the, uh, you know, height and weight line don't really show that, but he can run a little bit, seven stolen bases and under 250 at bats this past year. So I think the Dom- uh, I think the Diamondbacks might be able to utilize him similar in a Varsho ro- uh, role, except he's not going to be in the outfield. So I don't think he's a big fantasy redraft option this year until maybe later in the year, but I think he's a great buy right now because the Diamondbacks are doing great things to alter a lot of these prospects, doing a lot of different swing changes. Corbin Carroll is working with a lot of these guys. I would bet on Gabriel Moreno, and I think he's a fantastic buy right now because no one really cares about the Diamondbacks. They're fun. They're fun to talk about, but... They're not a team where a player goes to and everyone's like, oh, we got to buy, buy, buy. Now, he's going to be able to be a cornerstone for this team with a lot of the young pitching. It's just not going to be this year. Yeah, a couple of thoughts, you know, in, in opposite directions. One, I generally don't believe in like righty, right handed hitters being just lefty mashers. That generally, like, there aren't that many guys who like can't hit righties but crush lefties. Carson Kelly might be one. Like, we're what, five, six years into his career. And he's never been able to hit righties at a, at a decent level. I think his career OPS against righties is like 600 or something. We're seven years, you know, seven partial seasons into his career. So, you know, that could be a, a path where if they want to go with a platoon, you know, Gabriel Moreno could be on the bigger side of a platoon. And the other part is Chase Field's just a really bad place to hit at this point. Ever since they installed the humidor, it's been one of the worst places. Uh, I think for right-handed power, it might have been last, uh, at least in ESPN's park factors I saw. And I don't know about uh, you know baseball savants or any of the other ones, but those are those are the two thoughts I have: is you know positives and negatives. But you know, a, an opportunity to buy an elite prospect or an elite young talent at a discount. Yeah, it's it's all about the changes they can make, and that's the big question. I mean, Varsho, you know, five foot seven, five foot eight, Varsho hit twenty seven homers there, but it's all about the proper yeah. adjustments and the proper training that the team. I don't know the Blue Jays really gave to him, but you know, back to your point, just for a second, is this is a guy that hits both sides of uh, both sides of the pitchers. I mean, righties and lefties. He hit in Buffalo. He hit about ninety games last year. He hit almost two ninety against righties, and he hit three hundred against lefties. I mean, that is showing a that, that those are the type of things that are going to get you on the field. 
And, you know, he's a he's a he can pop up. He can throw. He's an OK framer. I mean, he does all the stuff. The team just has to be comfortable with him. So to, to, to Towers's point, it could happen sooner where they could go into a full platoon. I just don't think out the gates. And that's what I think the problem is with him is everyone's going to be looking at him. But I don't think he's going to be an early option. I think the team is going to kind of stay committed to um, to Carson Kelly, but I just don't think that's going to stick long. And we are just going to have to pay really close attention to what adjustments the team makes. I will tell you, Frank and Mr. Chris Towers, uh, as soon as spring training opens up, I will be over at the Diamondbacks facility, assuming it's open finally again. And I am going to be asking everybody I can about what's going on with Gabriel Marino, even Corbin Carroll himself. Uh, I'm going to try to get to because I would love to know if there's any positive news out of him, because that is that's going to be a big buy at this moment. But you might have to take the dive. Like Towers said, you might need to kind of do it now. The opportunity might be now before any positive changes are made. The steamer projections for what it's worth for Gabriel Moreno, 276 batting average, seven homers, three steals in 73 games. So if you think he could play a little bit more than that, you know, maybe eight to 10 homers with a good batting average, a second catcher, someone you could look at. It wouldn't surprise me if he plays more as the season goes along. Keep those things in mind. You're not drafting him in a one catcher league, but Gabriel Moreno, potentially someone you could draft at the back end there uh, as your second catcher if you choose to wait. A whole bunch of other moves. Let's try and run through these right now. The Giants made some moves last week. They signed Taylor Rogers. They signed Michael Conforto. Let's start with Taylor Rogers. Signed a three-year, $33 million deal. Uh, joins his brother, Tyler Rogers which definitely will not cause a bunch of confusion in fantasy. No, that would never happen. How does this affect Camilo Doval? Here is a quote from team president Farhan Zaidi that I saw on MLB.com. Quote, one of the concerns we've had with Camilo Doval is just making sure we're taking the long view on his workload. Having two guys that are comfortable closing, it gets important when you have a safe situation uh, and then you've got an extra inning game where you use your closer the third day in a row. It's just nice to be able to have the discipline to say you're definitely not pitching safe situation or not. I think it mitigates some of the risk of overworking your closer if you have a couple of options. Towers. This does not sound good one bit for Camilo Doval, who I will pull up his ADP, but he is being drafted relatively early. Most people thought he would just be the closer. Uh, his ADP is 72.9. I have to imagine that that is going down, and wherever Taylor Rogers was being drafted is likely going up. Although I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, because I don't think at this point we should be drafting a closer like Camilo Duvall, assuming 35 saves. You know, you, you draft that guy hoping you get really good ratios, really good strikeout numbers, and 25 saves. Because most teams, and the Giants have been like most teams, they don't just have one guy. And I think the, the, the likely outcome here is you're probably looking at, okay, there's a, a team, you know, this will happen maybe eight times a year where a team has two lefties coming up in the ninth inning in a save situation. They go to Rodgers instead of Duvall. But I don't think it, like, dramatically changes. It gives him a little more competition. It introduces uncertainty, and uncertainty is bad for fantasy. Um, but it doesn't necessarily kill his value. I would still expect you know, 25 saves from Camilo Duvall. And I'm not sure that's much different than what I would have expected before this. And if you are also in the same camp as Chris Towers, then this might create a buying opportunity for you to uh, draft Camilo Duvall at a discount. Uh, Taylor Rogers was being drafted outside the top 300. That's just because people didn't know where he was going to pitch. So I, I move, I imagine that moves, I don't know, 50 spots, at least inside the top 300, something like that. Probably a lot more, probably 100 spots or something. Um, but I would expect maybe five to 10 saves and, and pretty good ratios 
from Taylor Rogers as well. Their other signing was Michael Conforto, who they signed to a two-year, $36 million deal. I believe there is an opt-out between year one and two for Michael Conforto. He missed the entire 2022 season after having shoulder surgery in April of this year. That was actually the second shoulder injury that he's suffered, a pretty major shoulder injury that he suffered. He will turn 30 in March. Uh, We haven't seen him play since 2021, obviously. His last two full seasons, Welsh, Michael Conforto finished 58th overall in 2019, 289th in 2021. I think that's just a good microcosm of Michael Conforto's career where he has been up and down and up and down, and now he's going to San Francisco. Your thoughts on Michael Conforto? Yeah, it's it's odd too because it feels like they just signed him and Mitch Haniger. You know, it, it just seemed like very similar-ish signings and making good on some of the power. I think it's just a huge question. Obviously, Mitch Haniger is a bigger power bat, but I mean, Conforto. Besides that, you know, 2020 season where he hit over 300, he sat in the like relatively 240 range for three other seasons. Uh, power numbers have been up there, but I also like alluding to. I was, there's an injury that didn't get him signed for an entire season. We haven't seen him play for an entire year. That doesn't make me feel great. If he, what did, did you say his ADP? His ADP right now is 236. He's the 53rd outfielder off the board. I don't know. That seems right. That seems like I'm seeing in the relative range. I see like Andrew Benintendi is in yeah. there with the White Sox. Like, I don't know. I can go with, I could buy into Conforto over Andrew Benintendi. I look at Jock Peterson, his teammate, and I don't like Randall Gritchick. I don't love the class in there. So I guess for all of the like negatives I'm throwing on it, where what is a recipe for a player you would avoid? You'd say like, oh, I don't know, like a down year and a guy that didn't play. And then let's throw injuries on top of it. All those things happened and are in his uh you know in his uh, rear view so that's not doesn't get me excited but post 200 he's going to hit a predominant spot in this lineup they're going to have to manufacture as much as they can it's a pretty tough division if you're talking about pitchers in general even the lowly diamondbacks throwing out guys like zach gallon and, and merrill kelly so i don't know i think 230 is a relative range i'm not crazy optimistic i'm probably looking and projecting in like the 240s with 20 low 20 home runs and probably in the 70 run in rbi that would be what i would presume you're getting out of Michael Conforto, which I think I'd rather have Mitch Haniger. I'd rather bet on big power potential than, I don't know, mediocre counting stats on Conforto. Conforto Tough place to hit too. That's, yeah, that's yeah. the other thing is one of the worst parks for left-handed power still, even though they, you know, they've made some changes. Yeah. Oracle park still rates out as one of the, the worst parks for, for both sides, but for lefties, you know, in particular, I think of someone like Brandon belt, who's kind of a similar hitter to Michael Conforto has very good, you know, quality of contact metrics, not the greatest strikeout rate, but, you know, he, he's been much, much better on the road throughout his career than he was at, at home in San Francisco. Yeah, if you look at the at Oracle Park the past three years for left-handed uh, power in particular, they, ra- they ranked 26th according yep. to StatCast, and the and City Field ranked 16th. So that it's a pretty pretty big drop uh, for Conforto, where he previously played with the Mets and now going over to the San Francisco Giants. Should still get some pop. Counting stats should be all right if he could stay on the field. Uh, batting average probably not going to be great. You know, fourth or fifth outfielder in a five outfielder league, but outside of that, yeah, just another. Uh, Hanniger has an ADP around the 170, and Conforto's is around 230. What would you rather pay if you had to pay? I'd go with the cheaper guy. Just you would go with Conforto a, then. Yeah, I'm not a huge Hanniger fan, so I'd just go with the guy who's cheaper. 
Yeah, I would go with Hanniger. I think some of the injuries he's I dealt with are, are pretty fluky. Like last year, he had a sprained ankle that forced him to miss three months. It's just completely random. And then everything else he's dealt with in the past, like one year removed from that monster, what was it, like 38 homer season or 35 yeah. homer season. So I guess I would go with Hanniger, but I, I don't love either, I guess. Yeah, and just for the the reference, uh, Brandon Belt, 72 career home runs at home, 103 on the road. He's actually been a more productive hitter overall at home because he hits more doubles and triples and a better batting average, but just killed his power at home. All right. Well, we got a bunch more to get to. We've got Craig Kimbrough. We've got Nathan Ovaldi, but let's take a quick break and we'll get to that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. All right, let's jump right back into it. And Craig Kibrell signed a one-year, $10 million deal with the Phillies, and he also had an up-and-down season this year with the Dodgers 3.75 ERA, 1.32 whip. The swinging strike rate went way down from 2021. The walks also went up just over four walks per nine for Craig Kimbrell. He is reunited with Dave Dombrowski from their days back in Boston when Kimbrell was the closer, so maybe you can kind of peek into that a little bit, but... I think this is going to continue to be a matchups-based approach. If you look at Rob Thompson once he took over last year for the Phillies, they really went by committee. They played matchups. They used a bunch of different guys. Sir Anthony Dominguez. They traded for David Robertson. We all thought Robertson was just going to be the closer. That was not the case. Uh, but, you know, he still did pick up some saves. Jose Alvarado down the stretch. Chris Towers. I think it's going to continue to be this way. I think maybe we get... Three different relievers with between five and 15 saves for the Phillies this season. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I could absolutely see Craig Kimbrell, you know, looking like himself early on and, and kind of running away with the role because he's got the, you know, the the pedigree and the history. And, you know, he's one of the one of the best closers really of all time outside of the past couple of seasons. And, you know, there was he just didn't throw his curveball as often last season he had a big reduction in that and I don't know if that was he didn't have a feel for it and he wasn't throwing it for strikes as often he wasn't getting whiffs with it as much um I, I'm not going to rule out the potential for a bounce back but you know you'd have to get him pretty cheap and certainly not someone that you can draft and you know expect a lot of saves from at this point 
All right, let's move on to Nathan Avaldi, who signed a two-year, $34 million deal with the Texas Rangers, which includes a vesting option for the third year. Shout out to the Rangers, because the past two off-seasons, they are spending money, which you love to see. The rotation now includes Jacob deGrom, Martin Perez, John Gray, the aforementioned Avaldi, and Andrew Heaney. Last year, a 3.87 ERA, 1-2-3 whip, over 20 starts. For Nathan Avaldi, the control remains impeccable. He also allows a lot of hard contact and a lot of hits overall. Uh, swinging strike rate still looks really good. Th- uh, ranked 31st out of 140 starting pitchers with at least 100 innings pitched from last season. Welsh, your thoughts on Nathan Avaldi signing with the Texas Rangers? I like it. I think this is a sneaky uh, rotation that the Rangers are putting up. You know, Eovaldi is just one of those cheaper option pitchers that you just hope the best for. You cross your fingers when everybody else is taking some big stabs at younger pitchers in that spot. And it's just like, well, I can just get my strikeouts. I can just pick up my wins. This is, I mean, the Rangers are trying to build themselves as a, you know, an offensive support with solid defense still. I mean, up the middle, you got Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager still in there. Uh, Josh Young uh, can play a pretty solid defense as well. Nate Lowe. I mean, that's a great, pretty great infield. If you're being honest, defensively, I don't know if it's crazy above average, but it's pretty good for pitchers to trust. And, you know, Eovaldi is a a five usage pitcher of 10% more uh, as far as pitches go. And Two of his top three pitches he uses uh, have a over 30% whiff rate, which you've got to love, especially at his age with great command. I believe he was in like one of the, what was it? The, yeah, uh, the, 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 one of the lower percentiles as far as, yeah, walk rate, top 5% in walk rate overall. He's given up more hard contact. Maybe it'll be suppressed a little bit in Texas. I think there'll be some run support and you've just got, you know, great support as far as that staff goes. There's always that little thing in the back of your mind that's just like, man, you got all these great pitchers that are working together. Just rub off a little bit Uh, as long as he can stay healthy and be good to go. I think Nathan Eovaldi is a pretty solid bet. And I have not looked and I'm going to look right now with a 250 ADP. That seems... That seems kind of dealish a little bit. Maybe it's a little bit of proximity to the deal just happening, but I don't know. That seems like a little bit of a deal. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think typically players who remain unsigned on uh, at the NFBC, they go a little bit later, and then once they sign, you know, we'll see like 20, 30 spots of value. They'll move up a little bit. Uh, so I think that'll happen for Nathan Avaldi. but even without that, it, it, it seemed like a pretty good deal. The whiffs are still solid there for Nathan Avaldi. Just a matter of can he stay healthy. That's always been a big issue for him as well. Uh, Welsh, I know you'd like Hunter Brown quite a bit. They're going similar spot right now. Who would you rather have, Nathan Avaldi or take the shot on the youngster? Oh, you, you. (laughs) Um, You know, that's tough because I I tend to shy away from like, going big bets on on young players but this is this that's one of the few guys I might take my stab at at Hunter Brown if I'm being honest for the pure upside I do think that's a that's a team in a team context where I think you can be mediocre and you can walk into 12 wins and I think he's gonna uh, though I think there's a little bit more question as far as his rotation spot goes so I mean man it's kind of pitting me in a corner I think push comes to shove if I maybe have already a little bit upside maybe I took Nicola Dolo Nicola Dolo is one of my guys this year and maybe I got one or two upside plays I feel like Eovaldi might round up my system so I don't want to cop out I guess in a in a vacuum I would say Hunter Brown but I think there are scenarios where I might talk myself into Eovaldi coming up more and the rotation that I build it might just make more sense for me to to pull the trigger on Eovaldi than going on a young guy like Hunter Brown. All right, we had another big piece of news last week. Just kind of drop on Thursday out of nowhere. Trevor Bowers' 324-game suspension was reduced to 194 games by an independent arbitrator, making him eligible for immediate 
reinstatement. The Dodgers have until January 6th to decide if they will reinstate Bauer to their 40-man roster, but it's currently unclear if the organization intends to keep him in its plans. It's, uh, it's not unclear. No, it's, I it's mean, good. it hasn't been. It hasn't been. But, like, we had we had reports last, last spring that Dodgers players didn't want him back uh, right. or going back to the, the – when the allegations came out. So I, I would be stunned if they didn't release him, especially the decision, I think takes like a third of his salary off the books this year. So yeah, I think they, they're, he's gone. I've yeah. Been- I, I, if you know, one on video, or if you're not watching the video, you couldn't see, I was doing the gladiator, the thumb and the thumb down. There's no doubt that he will not be on this team. The bigger I- question, probably what you're going to is, does anybody have the wherewithal to pick him up this year? Because he will be very cheap. And I know that's a that's an insane well, question that we're asking right, right now. And there's there's going to be the situation where probably there's offset language in his contract. So whatever he signs for gets taken off what he's owed by the Dodgers. But I would assume Trevor Bauer is not going to be the guy who takes more money out of the Dodgers po- or lets money out of the Dodgers pockets. So I'd be shocked if he signed, but okay. That's what I was going to say. Do, yeah. Would either of you be shocked if he is not, or, or I should say it, if he's on a team in 2023 in Towers? You would be shocked if he's on a team. I'd be shocked if he's on a team at this point. I mean, it, it's just the the blowback would be just. I think massive. I got the team. I hate to say this. I I I've, I have thought about this since the news came down. I think there's only one team that makes sense. And I think it's the Cincinnati Reds. The Cincinnati Reds don't want to spend money. He won a Cy Young there. Uh, for all intents and purposes, whether you Are like him or not. still there? Uh, the well, driveline he, folks still um, in the organization? No, they... they, um, they oh, moved on God. from them? Kyle Brody, I believe, was working with them, is not anymore. Um, so to your point, there is that. But my point is, is the, the city did embrace him at that time. He won a Cy Young there. I know it's gross to think about and everything like that, but... Mm. I think it's the only one that makes sense because they you've already heard them talk about being creative with their money and how they're going to spend it. The whole thing came out with the Will Myers signing where they got cheap. And I think that's a situation where he could maybe feel comfort. The team might pull the trigger. Maybe there's less blowback. That's the only one I can really think of unless the team just does not care about public perception. To Towers' point, that's the only one. So I just want to put that out there. That is what I've sat on. I think him going back to a spot where he was before to kind of regain would be the only thing that make, made sense. We have no idea. It's a complete unknown right now. So, yeah. you know, once we learn more, that we'll, we'll save it until then. And frankly, I hope we don't have to deal with the with with it. Just putting it out there like I we probably will. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, will Myers, speaking of which, signed a one year, seven and a half million dollar deal with the Reds. And last year, you know, he wasn't so terrible on a per game basis. 261 batting average, seven homers over 77 games. Great American Ballpark is the number one team for right-handed power according to StatCast Park Factors. Just look at what Brandon Jury did last year. A complete afterthought, undrafted in basically every league, and he was a league winner. He finished as a top 100 player. So I'm not saying Will Myers is going to do that, but I'm saying that there's a chance. So just keep that in mind when it comes to Will Myers. A few veteran lefties signed. Drew Smiley, a two-year, $19 million deal with the Cubs. Sneaky good last year, 3-4-7, you know, like, Good in the Drew Smiley sense. 347 ERA, 119 whip, 12.4% swinging strike rate. Uh, all the ERA indicators slightly over four. So probably going to regress a little bit. Welsh, more so, what does this mean for Hayden Wesneski? Someone that flashed down the stretch, I thought would turn out to be a good sleeper or breakout this year. And maybe he'll get his chance. Again, life finds a way. Someone gets hurt. Boom, he's in the rotation. But as of now, it looks like Stroman, Tyone, Justin Steele, Kyle Hendricks, 
Drew Smiley in that Cubs rotation? Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it uh, right at the end there. I think um, there will be a spot and a time where he's going to get it. It's just not going to be at the beginning of the season. This controls innings. They don't have to go nuts with it by giving him the whole year. I don't know if the team, I mean, they can if they want, but like, do you look at that rotation? Do you think they have ultimate confidence in the health of that rotation for the rest of this year? Nope. Uh, Tyan has had stuff, Kyle Hendricks, Drew Smiley. No, I think uh, Wisniewski is the next guy up, and this allows him to maintain innings. Also, this team isn't competing this year i mean maybe they want to pretend they are but there's still another free agency class away from really getting back into the mix so i think you you sign a guy like drew smiley to lock up a rotation spot to suppress some of whether it's control or innings or whatever it is for young pitchers that they don't feel he's necessarily ready for so it's a solid it's a solid signing but i think it it kind of takes him off the list and he's more of a waiver wire week to week look than he is someone that anybody should be stashing all right, the other lefty that signed was Rich Hill, a one-year, $8 million deal with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Probably will be a streamer at some point in the season. Not great new news early on in the season for Luis Ortiz, who I think is in a similar conversation as Hayden Wisniewski. There, there's some upside there. He throws hard, has a nasty slider. Uh, I know that Eno Saris is a big fan of Luis Ortiz, but we're probably going to have to wait a little bit to see him in 2023. Uh, a few other signings here. Tucker Barnhart signed a one-year deal with the Cubs. He's likely going to split catcher duties with Jan Gomes. James McCann was traded to the Baltimore Orioles for a player to be named later, and he will back up Adley Rutschman. Eric Hosmer was officially released by the Boston Red Sox. Former Red Sox prospect Jeter Downs was claimed by the Washington Nationals, who uh, the past two years he has hit under 200 at AAA, and he played 14 games with the Red Sox this year where he had a 51% strikeout rate. Welsh, is there anything? Is there any hope for Jeter Downs? I used to love me some Jeter Downs. I was a big Jeter Downs guy back in the Cincinnati uh, era, but... He just completely fell apart as far as what contact rates he can make. You know, it's a funny thing about this trade, too, was uh, he gets to rejoin guys that he was involved in in a trade with uh, Josiah Gray. He need, he gets to rejoin Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz. They're all back together, and they were all involved in one of those trades. But, um, yeah, no, I, uh, I don't hold big hopes. He came back out in the fall league, I believe it was two years ago, looked as worse as can be. Doesn't look like anything has changed. He's a great defender. He um, can run a bit, but he completely lacks any feel for hitting, and that hasn't changed, and that's actually regressed. He was a much better minor leaguer uh, back in low A and high A, but then it completely fell apart. So, no, unless there's a big – unless he goes and works out uh, with Matt Holiday like everybody else does, I don't really feel confident about him uh, being anything uh, positive. Yeah, I do wonder if there's just, like, something the Red Sox were trying to have him do that didn't work because the – the, the gap between what he was doing with the Dodgers and even back with Cincinnati and what he did with Boston was is just massive. I and mean, he was a 20% strikeout rate, rate or lower guy. And then with Boston and AAA, and maybe he just got exposed to AAA. Like maybe that's the answer, but you know, his, his strikeout rate jumped to 30%. So it's the kind of thing where like if he's in, uh, you know, spring training and he shows some signs, maybe we'll be interested just because, like this guy might steal 30 bases in a full season with the new rules. It just it just the, depends on whether he can strike out less than 30% of the time. The problem is also the organization. Like they've got two young developing middle infielders yeah. and Luis Garcia and CJ Abrams. Like there's no like he would really honestly he'd have to like come over and like start playing some third or something like that. Because I think this team 
I mean, if they don't make the commitment to Luis Garcia and CJ Abrams this year, it's crazy in what you're trying to do and develop prospects. That's also why I'm a very big believer in CJ Abrams this year. I'm buying cheap, cheap, cheap because I think he's going to steal 20 plus bases and he's going to get an opportunity to hit. But Jeter Downs, weirdly enough, even on a garbage team, this isn't the best spot for him yeah. to have a great opportunity. But like Tower said, it, it, with all these guys, anyone that's had the tools that maybe is just missing a piece, if they can find it, watch out. This is how late bloomers are created. Is just, this is Brandon Drury. This is Brandon Drury all over. Finding that cure to whatever it is. Maybe he needs to stop trying to lift the ball up in the air and he needs to change his approach and counts and maybe that'll fix him and then he becomes a fantasy asset. All right. Well, Twins prospect Royce Lewis is unlikely to play for the Twins until late June or early July as he recovers from his second ACL tear. Well, someone I know you like quite a bit in Royce Lewis, but we're going to have to wait to see him in 2023. Unfortunately, the Carlos Correa saga is continues. It is crazy. We we hopped on here before we started. First thing we're talking about is, <laughs> dude, it is December 27th and Carlos Correa has signed with two different teams, but also hasn't signed with two different teams. So, what is going on? I just, I don't know. I, something going on with the physical, uh, something with his leg, apparently. But once we learn more, we will uh, let you know about Carlos Correa. And this just came in, too. Uh, Sean Murphy, after being traded to the Atlanta Braves, signed a six-year, $73 million contract extension. Uh, so good on Sean Murphy. Good for the Braves. I mean, they continue to lock up their young core. How do they do it? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How do they so the Mets? Get, the, I mean, Carlos Correa can't get a contract anywhere. He should go to the Braves. The Braves could figure it out somehow. This <laughs> ten, is crazy. Ten years, $112 million for Carlos Correa signed with the Braves. Yeah, it looks yeah, with an opt-out, <laughs> team opt-out every single year. Yeah, so. team options all the way through. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, all right, well, we have about 10 minutes left, so let's talk about this mock draft that we did. <laughs> we'll, you know, we'll get to as much as we can. The results are live on the site right now. You can see uh, both Chris and Chris Howers and myself were in it. Scott was in it as well. A few other industry folks were in it. Uh, I believe Chris Clegg and a few other people. So it was, it was fun. You could check it out. It was a 12-team head-to-head points mock draft, a 21-round draft where you start nine hitters, which includes one of each infield position, uh, one, including catcher, only one catcher, three outfielders, no corner, no middle, uh, one utility spot, five starting pitchers, two relief pitchers, and five bench spots. So again, 21-round draft. And Towers, I wanted to ask you, just going in your first mock draft of the offseason, your initial thoughts, anything that stood out when it comes to the player pool, the depth at certain positions, starting pitches, just your initial thought on your first mock draft. I can't. I think this is my first mock draft. Maybe this is my second. I'm I'm still in in baseball and football mode. But yeah, I mean, I, I was a little surprised at how few starting pitchers went early. It was what two in the first two rounds, something like that. Uh, two in the first round, four in the second, yeah. so six total. In but, a points league, wow! Same yeah. thing happened in a points league. I I did it. It's crazy. That doesn't. That seems very atypical to points drafts. Yeah, yeah and like, you know, what, what was it? Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara was the gosh. See, I'm trying to get back into baseball mode and trying to get the pronunciations back. Garrett Cole and Sandy Alcantara were the two starting pitchers drafted in the first round. Alcantara went 10th overall. You know, it's when you look at the the starting pitcher points from last season, you know, you don't see the kind of gaudy 650-point totals that we've gotten used to, you know, in the 2019 and 2018 eras. So, you know, I get why the the starting pitcher prices have gone a little lower and, and obviously, you know, the reemergence of that middle class at starting pitcher, I think has, has really helped as well. But, you know, the, the one thing that 
in a points league, especially, I think remains true is just that, yeah, there's these middle, there's the, the middle class of starting pitchers. They can still help, but innings matter a lot in this format, especially in the CBS format where, you know, you get what, three points per inning pitched. Yep. Like that's just, that's so massive when you're talking about guys not pitching, you know, through the fifth inning in some cases, but putting up good ratios. So I, I was surprised to see so few starting pitchers early on. And, and I think that, you know, might be a situation where maybe I go a little more starting pitcher heavy, especially if I'm drafting in the second half of the first round. I picked third here, so I didn't have that opportunity. But, you know, that might be something where if I'm picking 10th, maybe I double tap starting pitchers to start my points leagues and then, you know, go after my lineups. Frank, can I ask a question? Yes. Looking at both of your, you both did something interesting that uh, I think is a great topic in points in general to talk about. And it's the relief pitcher. And specifically you, Frank, because you spent a little bit more capital. I'm not seeing exactly where, but you have a bigger name in Felix Batista. I know you're big into Felix Batista and you got Daniel Bard. Towers, you ended up putting together a cheaper cost in David Bednar, but and then you got Scott Barlow. Mm-hmm. But you just said you said something interesting where you said the innings matter relievers tend to matter less in points, but obviously you can get more of them. You can get two or three in a single week, but their overall stats are just going to mean less. Frank, I'm just curious because you, I think spent the highest capital I'm presuming with Batista on a catcher. What is your point strategy seeing that the pitchers are going later and seeing that we might need to put a little bit more of a cost on it and why you invested early on a, uh, on a closer in points. Yeah, so I've been more so anti-SPARP in years past. I have a home league where we are not allowed to use SPARPs in relief starting pitchers as relief pitchers in our league, which for those who didn't know, in most points leagues on on CBS, you there are relievers that you can, uh, starting pitchers that are relievers that you can use in your Strider arms. last year. Strider is yes. one of the big prime cheat codes. Michael Kopech, though he wasn't great, would have been yeah. the prime example of drafting last year. And Strider still is SPARP eligible. So he is like far and away the best SPARP. And then there's nothing. There, oh, yeah. is, there is next to nothing. Like Hunter Brown has a chance to be a starting pitcher who has relief pitcher eligibility. And then after that, you get Brad Keller and Adrian Sampson. We did a podcast last week. Uh, recapping relief pitcher and taking a look at early rankings with Greg Jewett, who frankly is like the relief pitcher aficionado. Uh, and there's really not many. So it's Strider and then it's really bad. I took Felix Bautista in round 11. So I think he just, he lasted a really long time. And that typically will be the case in a head to head points league. So mm-hmm. uh, I like to get two quote unquote closers who have their team's respective job, at least going into the season. But I really will not invest a top 10 round pick and a reliever in this format. Okay, that makes a lot more sense because uh, the round context really helps here. Because I saw Felix Batista, and if people aren't like up on it, in a normal like head to head, Felix Batista is going in the 60s in like an NFBC like categories format. That's a top 60 overall player. So in a 15 man, that's like a fourth or fifth round pick in closers. That doesn't happen the same in points. But I felt like Towers, you did a little bit probably where I would lean, though you guys already answered the question. I'm looking for Sparks. I'm looking for those guys uh, the starting pitchers that qualify as the cheat code but you i felt did more of what i would have probably done in let me just get the two cheaper closers that yeah. don't cost me the higher thing because the the value is just not the same of what people would expect well and, and it's so it i mean close closer value is always save driven but in points leagues it's so save driven because you like you can't get i mean you can get a win but it's very rare you can't get a quality start so like you're hoping for an inning, two strikeouts, so that's 
what seven points, nine points in in point in a point scoring format, and then the the save is where you get you know an additional seven points. So like with if you start to do the math, you got twelve teams, two relief pitcher spots. Most people aren't going to have three or four relievers on their team. So like there should be someone getting saves on the waiver. You know, it's not going to be someone great, but generally speaking in your 12 team head to head points leagues, this is a very shallow format. That's why I'm not necessarily super aggressive on getting a closer in this format because the, the replacement level tends to be higher when you're talking about the waiver wire. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said when it comes to relief pitcher. Again, if there are, if there's a year where there are a lot of good sparps, then yeah, we could jump in. I know Severino was a spark last year. Uh, there was a few good ones, like legit five or maybe even 10 guys that were serviceable, serviceable pitchers as sparps. But this year, it's just not the and, case. And maybe they'll emerge later on. For but. some additional context, Emmanuel Class A was the number one reliever in points league last year. He basically tied Logan Webb and Miles Michaelis in scoring last season. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to count it, but it looks like it's around 25th in starting pitcher is where the best. And that was 30 points clear of the number two relief pitcher. Strider only had about 405 points, but obviously that was, you know, only 150 or 130 innings or whatever it was. So. You know, on a burning basis, he was much. And Frank, not not to hijack this, but I didn't do this draft, so you know, maybe it's warranted that I'm asking you guys this question. There's one other thing I thought was really apparent from both of your drafts, and I'm really curious if you noticed it or you feel it at all. Was I think a false sense of security with outfield because both your outfields in a this is a 12 man. Just saying, I think leaves a little to be desired. Obviously, Frank, you got uh, Julio Rodriguez, which is awesome. But then it went down to Marte, and then your third was Andrew Vaughn. And Towers, you ended up having a Rosarena, Yelich, and Nimmo. Yeah. And I felt like that was very representative of how I've seen all drafts. doesn't have to be points, but all drafts, that the outfield position is something that I felt in all of my early drafts are getting away from me. And I don't know if you guys felt that based off of who you took. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about Adolis Garcia earlier. He's outfielder 15 or 16 in ADP right now. So I think that kind of sums up like the state of the position. You know, I think Adolis Garcia is probably a pretty good value there and a pretty good player, but like nobody's all that confident in him and he's a num- a high-end number 2 outfielder. So it's just it's re- it's a really tough position and and uh, you know, this draft I did go relatively starting pitcher heavy, so I ended up having to, you know, make some sacrifices in outfield was typically I end up either like two outfielders in my first four picks or end up having to sacrifice. And this was the latter here. So, you know, as I get more comfortable with the, the player pool and all that, you know, we'll, we'll see how it looks, but yeah, it's outfield can definitely, the, the, the word you used is right. Outfield can get away from you. If you're not, uh, if you're not cognizant of it, especially in a points league where like, yeah. Steals don't matter. It's just production. So you can't even get like some of those specialists. It's 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 tough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this is something we've said already this offseason. And you know, maybe we need to be even more cognizant where we said if you play in a three outfielder league, you should be fine. You'll, you'll be able to come away with a good outfield. Even if you wait, it's just there are other positions that are shallow as well, where third base you know, we could talk about it right now. Chris, you wound up with Anthony Rendon as your starting third baseman, which yeah. you probably don't want, but there's this yeah, huge terrible. cliff that once you get past Bregman and Gunnar Henderson, it just falls way off. And uh, last week we were talking, Welsh and I like Jose Miranda as a fallback option, but 
you know, even that, it's, you know, how comfortable with you uh, are you with him as your starting third baseman in a points league? It's, it's probably not that great. Um, second base, you know, there's a few elite options up top, but then, you know, there's not much after that. It's, it's deep with okay talent, but not elite talent. So if you want to shore up second and third base, you're probably going to wind up weak somewhere else. And, you know, maybe it's outfield, maybe it's catcher or something like that. So that's just, I do feel the way it's a, li- down. a little better about second base. You know, when you look at the, the guys like, Ketel Marte and and Jeff McNeil and Brandon Lau, guys with yeah. legitimate upside. Whereas I, you know, outside of that, what is it, top nine? I guess if you include Muncie, who went ninety third overall in this lit draft, like mm-hmm. then you got this massive eighty spots in the draft before another third base eligible player was taken. Rendon, Matt Chapman, Cabrian Hayes, DJ LeMayhew, Josh Young, like it's pretty gross. Uh, once you get outside of the top eight or nine. So yeah, third base, that, that might be something that I, I haven't really, I, I don't worry too much about positional scarcity. It's not something that I think too much about, but it, it might need to be a, a focal point of my, of my research for sure, how to handle third base, because it's uh, yeah, the, the fall off there is, is pretty dramatic. All right. So let's just quickly run through our rosters and uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what we did and what we like, what we don't like. Chris had the third pick in this draft. His, Starting infield, Salvador Perez, Paul Goldschmidt, Jake Cronenworth, Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner. So, obviously, three positions there. I mean, you are stacked at Salvador Perez, Paul Goldschmidt, Trey Turner. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, I think is fine. Anthony Rendon, you know, we'll talk about it later. Starting outfield yeah. and your utility hitter, Randy Rosarena, Brandon Nimmo, Christian Yelich, and Xander Bogarts, which is interesting because you already had Trey Turner. He was your first-round yeah. pick. I think Bogarts probably just lasted too long. And he is a really good points league player. Uh, and that's probably why you took him. But probably where things you know go a little sideways for me. And this, this is something that you know you have to keep track of. And it is you know when you see that player falling, can I still you know do I have a spot for them? Technically, you do. It's a utility spot, but maybe not the best way to to build a roster. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at other positions here to see. So instead of taking Bogarts, you could have taken Stalling Marte. I took him the next round or Adolis Garcia or Eloy Jimenez. And yeah. you'd probably feel better about your outfield. But yeah, I mean, that, that is something you have to weigh. Like, do I double tap this position? Just use them at utility. But then maybe I'm sacrificing an outfielder or something like that. Your pitchers. You, uh, you went pretty hard here after pitchers. I think you took three mm-hmm. pitchers in your first five picks, which yeah, is something... Yeah, four in my first nine. Yeah, something uh, I typically you know don't remember you doing much in years past, but, I mean, this pitching staff is pretty awesome. So you've got Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Framber Valdez. Then you took Nestor Cortez in round nine, Jose Barrios. Uh, later on, I think it was like round 13 or 14 that you got, mm-hmm. you got him. Your relievers, David Bednar, Scott Barlow. Uh, your bench, you had Alex Cobb, Patrick Sandoval, Martin Perez, Justin Turner, and Brandon Drury. Uh, the pitching staff is absolutely great. I kind of wonder if you were trolling us by taking Nestor Cortez and Martin Perez, Chris, because... Uh, uh, I, no, I, <laughs> just they, they went late enough that it was worth the... And, and these are, you know, and specifically like Cortez and, and you know, especially I think Framber Valdez, Aaron Nolan, and Zach Wheeler can be really, really good in a points league. And so I, I think it was three, four, and five uh, were, were where I took them. So... You know, that just felt like really good value for them. Felt like, you know, three, there aren't a lot of players who can pitch three, 200 innings in a season. I think I got three of the ones who could. You know, I'm not saying it's the most likely outcome for any of them, but 
that that could give me a big leg up here. So and then you know even throw Barrios in there. He, you know he's a guy who's gone to. I don't know if he's gotten to 200 innings, but he's definitely gotten to 190 before. All right. Well, quickly run through my team. Well, she could be the judge. Let me know what you like, what you don't like here. Starting infield, Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, Ozzy Albies, Rafael Devers, and Tim Anderson. Fun fact, uh, Towers actually started a run when he took Bogarts, which he didn't need, by the way. Yeah. And a bunch of shortstops went, and then I got Tim Anderson, which is fine, but you know, I would have much rather had Xander Bogarts in this format. My starting outfield and utility hitter, I had Julio Rodriguez, Starling Marte, Andrew Vaughn, and Mitch Hanniger. Welsh, what do you think of my offense? Uh, I like it. I obviously like the infield on Towers more, but when you put together, I like your outfield uh, a bit better. Julio and Starling Marte. Obviously, Marte a little bit less. I mean, the stolen bases and that extra value doesn't mean a ton for me here, but um, you know, we already kind of talked about uh, Hanniger in there. So yeah, I would award. I think you guys are kind of split even right now. I like his infield. I like your outfield. All right. And then my pitching staff. Yeah, you know, I kept playing chicken with the third outfield spot. There was always somebody I wanted, and then they would always go right before I want. Like, say a Suzuki was someone I was eyeing, and then I didn't get him. Mm, I will admit, get our guy. my hitters much better in a roto format than a heads head points league. So, uh, there's a great roto team. This is great. a killer roto team. Great roto team. Know. Something I've got yeah, to uh, Anderson, Marte, Julio, Julio Rodriguez as a first rounder is very interesting in a, in a points league. And right. I'm not sure. You know, he, he definitely a first rounder, you know, number one pick potentially in, in a lot of roto leagues. But in points, you know, you, you need some improvement there uh, in the in the plate discipline, especially. And like he had that in the minors. He was more typically in the 20 to 22 percent range or lower. So there's definitely room for it. But, you know, is he going to make the the leap to being like a Fernando Tatis type where he's just so overwhelming that the play discipline play discipline doesn't matter? You know, that's the question for a points league. My pitching staff, I took my first starting pitcher in the third round. That was Brandon Woodruff. I actually took uh, two starting pitchers in round five and six in Max Freed and Joe Musgrove. I got Jesus Lazardo, I think, in round 12. Joe Ryan a few rounds later there. My relievers, uh, Felix Bautista and Daniel Bard. My bench, Matt Mervis, Miguel Vargas, Drew Rasmussen, Kenta Maeda, and Dre Jamison. So two big upside prospects there with the hitters. Uh, and then uh, shooting for a little bit of upside as well, I guess, with the pitchers there. Um, I feel okay about this pitching staff. I, I'm not really a big Joe Ryan guy. I don't even know why I took him, to be honest. But uh, I feel all right. Like, if I walk away from my head-to-head points league draft with this as my pitching staff, I think I'm okay. Welsh? Drew, Drew Jameson. Or, uh, Drew Jameson. Drew, I was looking at Dre Jameson and Drew Rasmussen at the same time. Drew, Mas- Drew Rasmussen might be a better play over Joe Ryan as far as the starters go in general. I actually don't mind the Joe Ryan pick. I really like this rotate. He's just Lazardo is like a fourth pitcher. Maybe you want him more five, but you you know you push it I back a little bit. Did you take Lazardo after Felix Batista or before? I took Batista in round eleven. I took Lazardo in round twelve. Okay, okay, so they're about the same. I, I just would have been curious. My mind goes to like, what pitcher could you have got instead of Batista, and then you could have pushed Lazardo as your fifth starting pitcher. That would have probably uh, been very, very sexy. But I don't know. I like. I think you have a lot of upside. I love the Rasmussen pick, even though I can't say his name. You got a lot of young talent in Mervis Vargas and Jameson. I think that actually your two drafts are really funny because your benches are like the floor and the ceiling play. Uh, Towers <laughs> yeah. is very flourish. It, yeah. It's got a boring feel to it. It like Justin Turner and Alex well, that, Cobb, but and I love that Sandoval. was making up for the Rendon pick. It's just like, yeah, God, I got to yeah. get, I got to get three opportunities at third base and just hope one of them sticks. 
Right. Yeah, and then you, and then you've got all that upside, Frank, on uh, Mervis and Miguel Vargas. If those two work out, you're going to be through the roof as far as your fantasy value. And Rasmussen is a sneaky start, potential startable player. Uh, I just would have liked for you to get our guy Jeffrey Springs. That's the only thing I'm disappointed in you about that you didn't get Springs in this draft. Oh, he's so, he's so close to having Sparp eligibility in points leagues too. He had eight relief appearances last year. You need ten in Come CBS. On. So. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty disappointed. Scott actually wound up with Jeffrey Springs, so I do like Springs uh, quite a bit myself. And someone who went after I took Lozardo, well, so I could have doubled down, like you said, your boy, Nick Lodolo. So that would have been Ooh, sick. Ooh, okay. Went, so now, now I'm through the roof here. I got. I'm sorry, Frank. I don't like it as much. If you could have took Lodolo and then Lozardo, I'd have been through the roof for right. you on that one. That but, kills me. That, that is all we're going to get to uh, here on this draft. Again, if you want to check out the results, you could do so. CBSSports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. And in case you're freaking out, we're going to do a bunch of mock drafts this offseason. So we're going to do them live. We're going to recap a bunch of stuff. So don't worry about it. This is kind of like our intro to mock drafts here. Let you know a little bit about the player pool and, and what we're thinking early on. But we're going to have a lot more drafts here in the offseason. For Chris and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.